tree was all the same I was under the sky, no new horizons Maybe there is no one else to Welcome back everyone to the Campbell's Footballs Podcast with myself, Dr. Grant Campbell. I'm joined for this episode by a man who's had a remarkable career in British football. He has played at Nottingham Forest, Chesterfield, but has also had a fabulous um, assessment with uh, Morecambe. It is the one and only Barry Roach. Barry, a warm welcome to the show. No, thanks for having me on, mate. I'm really looking forward to it. So am I. Um, how have you been coping during this COVID-19 crisis we're in at the moment? Because it's been a really strange time for so many of us. Yeah, it's it's obviously been, excuse me, it's been obviously been so difficult for everybody. We, I suppose we're one of the, you know, one of the fortunate industries that have been able to keep going. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, obviously apart from, you know, your, your, your private, you know, your private life, you know, the work life has been, has been same as really, you know, we get up, we go to train and we do our job, you know, we get to, uh, we get to watch, you know, obviously now that I'm coach, we get to watch live football on a Saturday. So, you know, I'm well aware that we're very, very lucky and very fortunate to be in the uh, position we're in. In terms of coaching, because obviously you're doing that at the moment with Morecambe, how has that changed as a result of COVID-19? Have you had to do different sessions via social media, Zoom calls, Skype calls, etc.? How has that evolved? Uh, at, at the start, it, it was very, it was very different because you know we came back. Obviously, last season was cut short. Uh, we came back late for pre-season, or sorry, later than we would usually do. Uh, the first couple of weeks, the lads were only able to train in groups of five for a maximum one hour. Yeah. Um, but thankfully, sort of towards the towards the start of the season, we introduced the testing. Yeah. Uh, training, training has been able to uh, sort of well, massively pick up pick up in uh, in pace and speed and in what we've been able to do. Uh, obviously, sort of all, off the pitch, you know, there's no. Where, especially where we are, there's no uh, there's no changes because we we train at Lancaster University, so it's a it's a public university, public mm. gym, and everything like that. So there's no there's no change in facilities for the lads now. There's no dressing rooms, which obviously reduces the the risk of contact. There's obviously the lads in the dressing room getting showered and everything like that. So that's stopped. Um, there's no there's no car sharing, mm. which has been uh, it's been tough for some of the lads because we we've got quite a few players who travel. You know, from areas Manchester, Liverpool, crew. So they're travelling in excess of an hour, and obviously they're used to being in car schools of four and five. So that's been completely stopped. Uh, all the equipment gets wiped down. It's you know, it, it's certainly been different. Mm. But you know, we, we you get on with it because you know, one you have to, and two, like I said, in, in you know, in, we're lucky. We're lucky to be able to do what we do. Yeah, absolutely. I, I really feel for the League One and League Two clubs because, as you say, you know that the, there's a lot of people that are playing uh, part time. There are not a lot of full time uh, teams in that league, and you know there's a, there's a lot of work goes on behind the scenes, especially for for key players and individuals within the clubs. Yeah, there's been you know there's been so many uh, there's been so many sort of <coughs> restrictions, regulations, protocols. That have been put in place by the FA, the Football League. That you know, they, I mean, they are being updated weekly. Mm. So you know, something you, you could do last week, all of a sudden you can't do this week. Uh, the match days are completely different. Uh, you know, obviously, but you know, the, the major thing is the no fans, which is uh, which has been it's been hard to get used to because there's there's nothing better than playing in front of a uh, you know a stadium full of a full of fans. Um, also, you know, you, you can't. We we go to away grounds and obviously it happens at our place too. You can't change and you know the starting eleven will change in one area, 
you know the subs and the staff will change in another area so there's different you know you yeah. can't be in with the lads you know help help them get get ready for the game mm-hmm. but it's it's all it's all been done to enable us to keep playing. Yeah. So it's all worth it. Don't get me wrong. It's just very very different. Yeah, it's very interesting to see how things have changed as a result of COVID nineteen. And just before we kick on, I want to give a big shout out to Lancaster University because I just finished my PhD in twenty nineteen, and one of the great things about it was I have actually been to Lancaster University on a number of occasions. Oh, right. So it's a really great university. And even though I did my PhD at Cranfield, they- I know it very well. They, they, they've been great with us because, you know, over the years I've been at the club, we've we've never had, well, no, we still don't, we've never had our own training ground. We've, you know, we've trained at sort of various different spots around the around the area, in, you know, high schools and stuff like that. Whereas when we went to Lancaster Uni, all of a sudden we've got, we've got use of, I think, two, one, two, three fully equipped gyms, swimming pools, uh, indoor areas. Uh, AstroTurf pitches, you know, it's been it's been absolutely brilliant cha- uh, training there, and we've had our own base for once. Yeah, because it used to be the case of we go to the we go to the Globe Arena or Mizuma as it's known now, mm-hmm. and then sometimes you sort of been you know, especially in the bad weather, you'd be sitting around waiting. Well, you know, where the hell are we going to train? Yeah, and you could be waiting till you'd be in at nine and a half nine. You'd be waiting around till eleven half eleven, even twelve o'clock. Going, you no, know, we can only get this venue at this time. Whereas now it's. Straight to Lancaster Uni, straight down the train and pitch. It, it's it's been brilliant for us. Yeah, it's absolutely fantastic. It's great to see a good relationship there with the university and obviously uh, the club as well. Barry, it's great to have you on the show. Um, former Nottingham Forest, Chesterfield goalkeeper, but also a man synonymous with Morecambe and played there for the best part of 12 years and now obviously goalkeeping coach at the club as well. And I'm really interested to learn more about your career. My first question I always like to ask my guests is, what made you want to go into the world of football at the very beginning of your life? Were you always a fan of football at the start? Well, my dad played uh, My dad played in goal. He, uh, he, you know, he played Leinster Senior League. He played for, uh, played for a brief spell with Bray Wanderers. So I was always... You know, fascinated with football. Uh, unfortunately, he's a Man United fan. He also, <laughs> I'm a Liverpool fan. Uh, but I always used to go watch him play, and yeah. it's you know, it's all I ever wanted to do. So I saw, as you know, I followed in his footsteps. I originally started playing outfield, and then obviously it was a case of well, you're the biggest, get in goal, and it uh, as tends to be the case, and it went from there. But yeah. you know, like I said, as soon as uh, as soon as I realised that you know, I'm not half, you know. I'm not rubbish, and there was a there was a there was a possibility of, of something happening, and it's all I've ever wanted to do. Very interesting. There's obviously a lot of goalkeepers vary in size, and I was just having a look at your stats here. I mean, I'm just checking that you're six foot four, or right about that sort of height. Is that right? Six five. Six five. Well, six five and a half, so we'll call it six six. Yeah, yeah. Is it an advantage to be taller as a goalkeeper or small? Because there's a lot of varying sizes of goalkeepers that I've seen throughout the game, and a lot of goalkeepers that are at the top of the game usually are taller than others, but not always the case. No, there are. I, you know, I, I personally think, and obviously it's it's from my own experience. I, I think that uh, being taller is isn't a definite advantage, and I think if if you look at if you look at the top goalkeepers over you know over time basically they're you know they've always been taller there are exceptions to the rule you know there's always going to be exceptions to the rule you know one of the one of the best goalkeepers around Iker Casillas he's only i don't know 511 6 foot yeah but i think if you look at the well certainly in my opinion the best goalkeepers over the la- over my lifetime over the last you know 30 40 years they've all been 6 foot 2 plus and that's 
from a coaching perspective, obviously, like I said, there's going to be exceptions, but from a coaching perspective, it's something that's it's not the be all and end all, but it's something that I would look at. You know, I, I like a big, tall, commanding goalkeeper. Yeah, and, and maybe a bit of an advantage as well for dealing with cross balls and corner kicks and free kicks into the area. Uh, like that. In, in, my, in, in, in regards to me, it depends who you ask. <laughs> Very interested to hear about that. In terms of idols and inspirations, Barry, obviously you mentioned that your, your dad was a goalkeeper and you obviously sort of fell into that mould of being a goalkeeper as well. I take it your inspirations are also from that area of the pitch too? Yeah, without a shadow of a doubt. And it, it, it pains me to say, but my, my favourite goalkeeper growing up was Peter Schmeichel. And, you know, as a Liverpool fan, I probably shouldn't say it, but <laughs> I think... Uh, you know his, his presence in the goal, his his aura, the way he commanded his area, the saves he could make. You know, it, it was just for me that was just like right. He is at, the, at you know at that time, he was the perfect goalkeeper. He had absolutely everything. Yeah. Um. You know. You know. He, he won everything with Man U. Obviously, won the Euros with uh, with Denmark. But he, you know, being a six foot four goalkeeper, having that presence, having that you know that the way he. He commanded his area the way you know. Don't get me wrong. I, I, I'm I'm not a particular fan of the way he uh, you know some of the screaming and shouting and everything like that. I, I do like to be a little, you know. I was certainly a lot calmer, but the way he presented himself in the goal, I, th- I think, was absolutely fantastic. And he and he backed it up, which is obviously the most important thing. Absolutely agree. And you know, Schmeichel for me is up there with the the really the ball mark the ball mark for a, yeah, a lot of cool. Premier League goalkeepers. Even now, you know, he was the benchmark for for so many years. Yeah, without a shadow of a doubt, I think um, you know when when Schmeichel left United, it, it took them an awful long time to replace him. Definitely, you know, then they've had various goalkeepers. Obviously, you know, Bartes went in there and, and did quite well, but until they had uh, Van der Star. There was no one until Van der Sar who came that came even close to him. Yeah. So when you're at a club like United and you've got a goalkeeper who, who's done so well and is that good, it's you know don't it's always going to be hard to fill those shoes. And I think many tried, but you know few succeeded. Yeah, no, absolutely agree. And, and Van der Sar, in my opinion, is also very close behind Schmeichel as uh, yeah. the best goalkeeper yeah. United have had. A very, very solid shot stopper, and also quite tall as well, which also helps. And you mentioned Barty. <laughs> You mentioned Bartes there. I mean, what did you make of him as a goalkeeper? Because he was very, um, what's the word I'm looking for? He was very unorthodox, shall we say? He was. He was very flamboyant. Um, obviously, he was. Uh, he was a lot smaller than you know than Schmeichel van der Sar. But you just you just really have to look at what he did in the game. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he had a. You know, obviously, being being his size, you're at a disadvantage when it comes to high ball, but high balls, crosses, corners, etc. But he had a knack of his timing coming for high balls was that good, mm-hmm. where he would pick the right, you know, the exact moment to come. He'd come out, he'd come out, you know, which is important when you're coming for a cross. You've got to pick the right moment. You've got to come at pace. You've got to come at speed. Strength. And he, he had a knack of doing that. And if you are a smaller goalkeeper, you know, you have to have that. Yeah. 
Um, like I said, you know, he, he won Everton with France. Mm-hmm. You know, he did he did very very well with Man United, and as I said, they they had tried for quite a long time to to fill Schmeichel's shoes. So you know, you certainly can't. Uh, I certainly wouldn't. I wouldn't knock his, his achievements and how good he was. Yeah, absolutely. And you mentioned obviously Van der Sar and Schmeichel, and, and they won plenty as well. You mentioned earlier on, Barry, about your love of Liverpool. How did that come about from a very young age? Do you know what? I, I don't really know because all my family, you know, my extended family, my uncles and everything like that, they're all Man United fans. Right. <laughs> I think I think it was just down to one of the first football matches I watched was Liverpool. And I, and I went from there and I thought, right, that's my team. And that's, uh, that's never changed, never wavered. And obviously... Last year, I was an extremely happy man. Yeah. At the moment, at the moment, I'm not so happy. But uh, you know, I, I'd waited. Uh, you know, I'd waited. We, like every Liverpool fan, we've waited an awful long time for uh, for us to win the league, and yeah. uh, albeit in unfortunate circumstances during the pandemic. But uh, it, it was. Uh, it was it was fantastic, you know. It was it was incredible. You know, I'm not ashamed to say I, I definitely shed a couple of tears when it happened. <laughs> uh, you know, like I said, because we we've waited an awful long time. You know, been close a couple of times, but you know, for such a for such a club like Liverpool to go that long a time without without uh, without winning a title, title is wrong. It would be a miss of me to not. Talk about some of the great Liverpool goalkeepers of yesteryear. People like Bruce Grobelar, David James was very solid back in the day. Sander Westerveld, Pepe Reina, but Allison in particular over the last couple of seasons since he's joined Liverpool. Maybe not currently because of his current form, but generally speaking, been very very good for Liverpool. Well, I think I think in a, in any team you've, you've got to have a really strong spine. So you're talking a goalkeeper, centre half, midfield, striker. Simple, simple as that. You will not win anything if you don't have a strong spine. Yeah. And I think Liverpool, you know, they've had good goalkeepers, but they've never had, not never, sorry, that's wrong to say, in the past 20 odd years, they've not had great goalkeepers. Mm. You know, I, I'll be honest, I was a big fan of Pepe Reina, but I think he was, you know, his, his side was let down in other areas of the pitch. Mm-hmm. Whereas this year, I'm oh, sorry, not this year, and in the past couple of years, Liverpool have had the strong, the strong spine. Yeah. You know, they've had Van Dijk's been co- come in, Henderson's, you know, turned into a top class player, and obviously the front three speak for themselves. But bringing in Allison, you know, certainly raised a few eyebrows with everybody, with the uh, with the transfer fee. Yeah, and current current form aside, he's, he's been an absolute revelation. He may, you know, I think in this day and age, it's so important. I think some people think it's too important that to be able to play with your feet. Yeah, you've got to be able to play with your feet. But as a goalkeeper, your job is to keep the ball out of the back of the net. Yeah, and he does that. And he does that well, and he, he he has he has the knack of being able to make the big saves in the big games. Yeah. Absolutely. And as a, as, as a, if you're going to play at the top level, you have to be able to make the big saves in the big in the big games. You know, I know every, everyone speaks about the save in the Champions League against Napoli. You know, not an awful lot to do for eighty odd minutes. Yeah. And then he pulls off a world class save in the in the last couple of minutes, and Van der Sar could do that. Schmeichel could do that. Buffon, another, you know, another goal we haven't spoke about. He, he, he had a knack of doing yeah. that. If you're going to play at the top level in the top clubs, where at the top clubs you don't have a lot to do on a weekly basis in most games, yeah. but you've got to be able to make those saves when it counts, and he, he's able to make those saves. Is there a key word in here that is separates the top goalkeepers from the rest? Concentration. Without a shadow of a doubt, because like, like I said, if you have nothing to do. 
for 80 odd minutes mm -hmm. and all of a sudden you're called into the action in the blink mm -hmm. of an eye to make that not just a comfortable save but yeah. to make you know a top class save mm -hmm. you've got to be able to make it the reason you know, plenty, yeah the reason, plenty to, the reason i wanted to ask that is because rangers are a classic example of that you have someone like alan mcgregor who for usually most of the game has very little to do and then when there's an opportunity he still has the concentration to pull off an absolutely superb save and be a match winner. That, that's what you have to be playing with a top club. And like you said, you know, if you're playing for Celtic or Rangers up in the, up in the in the SPL, and this is no disrespect in the other clubs, but you're going to have the majority of the ball for every game. Yeah. Regardless of where you play, you're going to have the majority of the ball for every game. So you might be inactive for large parts of the game. Yeah. But when the time comes, when you've got to be called into action, you've got to be able to make that save. You know, there's plenty of go very, very good goalkeepers around who can have top-class games and can make five or six saves, really good saves, but they might not be able to do it in the 90th minute yeah. when they've had nothing to do for the whole game. Yeah, no, it's a very interesting point and, and very well described, as you've just said. Let's go on to talk about your own career, Barry, because I've really been interested in following your own journey. And I, I mentioned in the, the introduction at the start of the podcast that you started at Nottingham Forest, but you, it, that's actually correct because you started off at Leeds, didn't you? I did. Uh, I got offered a trial at Leeds when I was, what was I? I think I was 13. So they said, listen, come over for a week and, uh, you know, Basically, have a trial. Obviously, you know, I didn't know what to expect. I'd never been in anything like that. I was playing local football in Dublin, uh, and so I went over for a week, and it went well. On the back of the week, they offered me a scholarship when I turned sixteen. So from sort of thirteen to fifteen, fifteen and a half, I was going over to Leeds, probably four or five times a year, school holidays, having like that for a week at a time, train, playing a couple of games, but. Just I think it was just after Christmas before I was due to sign a scholarship at 16. Uh, Paul Hart, who was the manager, he left right. and went to North Forest. And he, he was the one who obviously offered me the contract, put faith in me. And he said, listen, will you come along and have a look? So I said, well, I suppose there's, there's no harm in coming along and having a look. So I went over to Forest for a week. Uh, really, really enjoyed it. Really liked what I saw. And they offered me a, they offered me a contract in the back of that. And Paul Hart was the reason I went there. So yeah. instead... It was, how do I put it? Was it almost uh, like a sliding yeah, doors moment? Because, you know, when you look at that Leeds team back in the late 90s, early 2000s, you had people like Nigel Martin and a very solid defence and a really great attacking midfield with Boyer and Baca and Viduka and Bridges. Does part of you kind of feel disappointed that you never got an opportunity to get in amongst that, that Leeds type period at the time? No, honestly, no, because I knew... And I felt it, you know, felt it really, really strongly that Forest was the place for me. Interesting. I knew that from the first week I'd been there. Uh, there was, you know, I know there was there was plenty of Irish at Leeds, uh, but we had such a big Irish contingent of Forest. It, it, it almost, and this is going, this is moving away from home at sixteen for the yeah. first time yeah. to a different country. It was a home away from home, yeah, because there was so many Irish there. And that was my next question. I was going to ask. Obviously, moving away from Ireland over to uh, England in that sense. How difficult an experience was that? Was that made easier by that transition at Forest, as you said? I, I, honestly, I, I, could, I couldn't wait to move away. Right. I was ready to go. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, well, you know, my folks will, my folks will say differently because obviously <laughs> the sun's moving away. But I, I couldn't wait to move away. I, I, I didn't, 
I know this sounds strange, but I didn't see it as, uh, you know, I'm leaving home. It was just like, right, I'm going to pursue something that I'm desperate to succeed in. Interesting. Interesting. That's and a good way of really shaping that. Sorry? I'm saying that's a good way of shaping that. I think that's really interesting. Yeah, don't, don't get me wrong. There, there was certainly, you know, moments when you get homesick, without a shadow of a doubt. But uh, I, I honestly, I couldn't wait to go. Yeah, no, very interesting to hear about that. Let's talk about um, Nottingham Forest because obviously that was your first club. Um, what what did it mean to you to play for a team with a great history and heritage in Forest? It was it was incredible. You know, everybody knows Nottingham, you know, Nottingham Forest. You know, back to back European Cup winners in the early eighties. You know, Brian Clough and. Uh, it, it was a massive club. Um, they had a really well thought of youth system and produced some really fantastic players. So for me to go over there and, and sort of and learn my trade there was really, really special. And you know, again, I, I know I was very, very fortunate to be able to do it. Yeah, absolutely. You mentioned Paul Hart earlier on. How big an influence did he have on your career at the beginning? Massive, absolutely. We still, you know, until, until I, until I. Hung up my gloves. He, he was still a, a massive influence on my career. He uh, he developed us as footballers, but also as men. He was, you know, because we we were just kids going over. He was he was tough on us. You know, he, he gave you praise when you needed it. He was fair. You know, he could give you a kick up the backside if you needed it, which you know. I'll be honest. Quite often we did, uh, but also his uh, his football knowledge, his coaching, what what he what he or how he helped develop us, but develop us as players is second to none. You just got to look at the players he brought to at Leeds. You know, Paul Robinson, Stephen McPhail, to name him, Ian Hart. You know those players. He, he knew what he was doing, uh, and you know, he, I, you know, I've, I've spoke to him since. Uh, you know, I've played against his teams before. Uh, you know, and I, I, I thanked him for all he'd done for me. I'm glad you mentioned Ian Hart because I thought he was such an underrated player at Leeds. I thought he was a brilliant player. But Paul Robinson, you, you mentioned him earlier on there. Did you think he would make it to international level or out for England? Yeah, I did. I think he, uh, he, you know, he was he was a good size. He was a big lad. He could he could kick the ball really well. He could make saves. You know, I, I, I'll be honest. I, I think he I think he probably could have gone on to do you know do a little bit more for England mm. um, because I, I think he, he had that ability. Yeah. You know, for whatever you know, it, it, it but. Having said that, you know, I was going to say for whatever reason it didn't happen, and that's probably the wrong thing to say because he had a fantastic career. Yeah, no, he did have a fantastic career, and, and so did you as well. And, and one of the great things about your own story is your debut because you come off the bench because Dave Besson, who's an absolute icon at Nottingham Forest, got sent off, and you saved the penalty. Yeah, that was uh, oh, it, it was it, it was crazy because I, I got promoted had a couple of years in the youth team and then I got promoted to the first team squad at eighteen and obviously I knew I was number two I, I wasn't going to play barring an injury or something like that yeah we went down to Delhurst Park in August bank holiday and I remember we we were three nil up at half time absolutely cruising so it's a case of yeah just sit back and relax all of a sudden they pulled two goals back and then. Their fellas run through. Dave Besson's come out, taking them down. But he has actually taken them down outside the box. Right. Well, I say, you know, it should. You know, we've seen it. Should have been, been a free kick. Should have been a free kick. But I'm thinking, like, give a give a give a penalty because he's going off. Give a penalty because I think, you know, if I don't save a penalty, because I was I was terrified. I'm thinking, if I don't save a penalty, no one's gonna no one's gonna shout at me. But if I don't save a free kick, they might. Uh, so they gave the penalty. Uh, the fella stepped up and he sent me the wrong way 
but the ref made a retake because one of their players uh, encroached and I just looked at him and I thought right you're nervous now because he was really confident and casual in the first penalty but all of a sudden there was a proper shift in how he was looking I thought right, you're going to go you're going to go the other way so he went the other way saved us and uh, we won the game 3-2 as a goalkeeper, how did you know that he was nervous at the time? Did you just did you just psychologically know that, or yeah, can you get yeah, in people's there was a, heads? There was, there was, there was, there was not, you know, I, in the later stages of my career, I believed I could get people's heads definitely from penalties. But I was only, you know, I was only a kid back then. But the first penalty he was he grabbed the ball. He, you know, he, he was strutting up to the ball and he was really confident. Sent me the wrong way. The second one, the ball came to him. He just looked jittery. Mm-hmm. He looked nervous. And I thought, right, you're not going to go the same way. And I got lucky. Yeah. And as a goalkeeper, when you're facing a penalty, whether it's in a shootout or in a match, I often think the goalkeepers have less pressure because they guess the right way. They're the hero. If they don't, well, you know, the striker mm-hmm. did well to score it. You know what I mean? Pen- penalty, honestly, you ask any goalkeeper, penalty shootouts are brilliant. Mm-hmm. You 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 have nothing to lose. You know, twelve yards out, free shot. Nobody expects you to save it. And if you do, like you said, you're the hero. But I, I always I always fancy myself with penalties. Because, you know, I have a decent record over my career at saving them. And I always thought, all right, you go the right way. I'm going to back myself to save it. Yeah. And obviously, there's there's quite a few that have gone in when you've gone the right way but I always said if I go the right way I'm going to save this penalty a lot of people always say that goalkeepers do their homework on players who are stepping up to take penalties were you one of those? towards the end of my career yeah because you know so that the analysis side of things became more prevalent it wasn't early on in my career <laughs> to be fair I actually had a proper, probably had a better record when I didn't look at penalties <laughs> um, because I do think it's a very, very useful tool to have because you know you you study run you know the way they run up, the way they start their starting position, where they start, mm-hmm. do they do anything different on the run up? Do they open themselves up? Everything like that. Which side do they go? And it's a useful tool to have. But there's also times when I've been in goal and I thought, right, he's doing this run up. Yeah, he hasn't gone left when he's done that. It doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel right. You stick to what you've studied. And he goes the other way, so you're kind of kicking yourselves. But it is a, it, for me, it's, it's a very useful tool to have, and we do it. We do it every week with our goalkeepers now. We, you know, we study the different penalty takers. You know, the position, the body, the body language, the body shape. You know, do they do anything different in terms of where they're, they're even down to where their feet position are yeah. before they before they take the kick. Yeah. And the, you know, having said that, the best penalty takers have the same run up and go yeah. either side and I'm glad and, you and mentioned that because that was going to bring on to that was going to bring on to my next point because I, I can think of someone like Ruud van Nistelrooy who always had the same run up the same side he would always pick time and time again and I think it was only when you see Askelainen saved a penalty for Bolton that he started to change his routine and started to mess with him a little bit well I think it does, it does as a penalty taker if, if you do miss one you got you know you know you, every, every every goalkeeper, or sorry, every penalty taker now knows that goalkeepers study their form. Yeah. So if you do miss one, it, it's certainly going to mess with what you're thinking. But I think uh, Harry Kane. Harry Kane's an excellent penalty taker. Absolutely. Very very similar run up. You know, little bit little little between how he how he lines up when he goes left or right, and so it's very very difficult to read. Yeah. But there there will always be 
99 times out of 100 there'll always be a little tell yeah no absolutely we, we talked about Dave Besson earlier on and obviously you had come on to replace him what did Dave do as a person to help you in your own career starting out he was brilliant because when I uh, when I graduated to the to the senior squad he was player coach but he was the goalkeeping coach as well as the goalkeeper mm. so he gave you know, he, he, he helped you know he, he trained me every day you know, we trained each other but obviously he put on the sessions uh, and him being a similar size to me yeah he had, you know I, I thought well I, I'm you're the same height as me I'm gonna have a similar style to you and he brought me on leaps and bounds because going from going from academy football into into senior football is it's a massive step you know you're playing with grown men yeah yeah I, I played I played a few reserve games but you've still got a mixture between youth and experience in there uh, but going training day to day with the senior squad and sort of dealing with the, pa the pace of the ball which was one of the bigger things because obviously the older pros strike a ball much, better, much uh, firmer than the younger kids uh, but he, he helped me sort of prepare for it mentally and, and physically on the, on the pitch on a daily basis And he wasn't a bad penalty saver either of course very famous one in the FA Cup final against Liverpool your, your team you mentioned <laughs> I don't like to talk about that. <laughs> I wondered whether that was going to come or not, but but uh, even so, it was still a, a fantastic save. Um, you had um, a few games uh, at Nottingham Forest, but was it very tough to make yourself the number one there at the Forest? I didn't do enough to be made as number one. In what Plain ways? And simple. In what ways? <sighs> Honestly, I didn't work hard enough. I'd got you know. I'll be, I've, I've said this in, in interviews before and I'll be brutally honest about it you know I got used to the bright lights of the city you know going out enjoying myself I didn't work hard enough I don't get me wrong I, every every day in training yeah. I gave absolutely everything but to make it at a good you know at, at a good level you've got to do the work off the pitch yeah. you know you've got to go in the gym on a daily basis you've got to eat right you've got to look after yourself right and for a couple of years I didn't do that is that something as that, and that's what let me down is that something now that young players coming through the game, they're more switched on now in terms of how to develop and improve their own game because of the improvements in sports science and nutrition and, and things like that? Oh, with, without, without a shadow of a doubt. You know, the, the difference now, you know, when, when I was coming through, there was a drinking culture. Uh, and, you know, being in a big city like Knott's, you know, it's, it's different, let's say, somewhere like Morecambe, you've got players travelling from everywhere. Mm. Whereas when we were in Knott's, you had all the lads living in the same area. Yeah. So there was always someone to go and have a pint with. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, Nottingham's a great city. Nottingham's Whereas a great young, city. Whereas the young lads coming through now, you, you cannot do that. You cannot go out. Yeah, you've got to let your hair down every now and again at the right times. But you've got uh, to be professional about it. Yeah, absolutely. You've, you've got to be so professional now to make to make it. And uh, you know, and there was there was plenty of times when uh, when I wasn't professional enough. Yeah. In that Forest team that you were under in that period from 2001 to 2005, which players stood out for you in terms of their own development, but also where they've gone on to make their mark in the game? Andy Reid. And Andy Reid had, he had a left foot that could open doors. He was technically absolutely incredible. You know, he and... And there was no surprise that he went on, obviously, to, to have numerous international caps, play for Spurs, Charlton, Sunderland, play for, you know, a few really, really big clubs. And obviously now he's uh, he's been named under-23 manager because yeah. his, his knowledge of the game was very, very good. Yeah, very astute player. He, 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 was, he was absolutely fantastic. You know, yeah. the, the ability he had, the, you know, 
shooting, passing, crossing his first touch. It, it was all incredible. Yeah, very interesting because I spoke with Daniel Story recently, who's a big Forest fan, and he said that Andy Reid was in that bracket as well, along with Chris Cohen. So very interesting to hear a, a similarity there. A fantastic player in terms of his distribution oh, of the ball. He, he was. Reid is a, a friend of mine. Obviously, we, we, you know, we grew up together in uh, over in Nottingham. But like, like I said, there was no... When he broke into the when he broke into the first team, there was no surprise to see uh, someone like Spurs come calling because it was it was only a matter of time. Let's bring it back to yourself though, because you left Forest uh, and then signed for Chesterfield uh, in two thousand and five. Why Chesterfield is the first question I'd like to ask you. You know, you know what? When when I left Forest, um, I was struggling. I was uh, I I had nowhere to go. I remember the day after I left Forest, I went up and played in an open trial game at Grimsby. Had an absolute shocker. <laughs> uh, went to Magaluf the next day to uh, drown my sorrows. Uh, but we, uh, I, I had nothing up until the sort of back end of June. I, I, I had an agent, an Irish agent. I won't mention his name. Uh, he said, you know, <clears throat> he said, oh, I can't get you in, I can't get you in. And so he started ignoring my, he started ignoring my phone calls. Um, and I knew someone who knew his boss, so he said oh, he got in touch. So he, he rang him. I said, "I'll oh, come into the office." Uh, he goes. So I went into the office. He had a booklet of all the teams that he that he'd called for me, mm-hmm. or a sheet of paper, all the teams that he'd called and all the responses. Yeah. First team on the list: Chesterfield. Don't need a goalkeeper. I signed for Chesterfield two weeks later. Wow. Uh, there was. There was Northampton. The manager was Colin Calderwood, who I'd played with two previously. Doesn't know Barry Roach. Interesting. So the, the the agent was full of full of crap. Excuse me. Excuse my language. But yeah, I, I was really struggling. So I ended up ringing uh, Ian McParland, who was my reserve coach at uh, at Forest. And I said, "Listen, any chance you can help me out?" And he said, "Listen, give me you know give me a day." So he rang me back the next day and said, "Chesterfield want you to go in on trial." So I was like, "Yeah, no problem. When and where?" So I went into Chesterfield for a couple of weeks, and then they offered me a two-year deal after the second week. So it was it was it was brilliant for me because obviously, especially living in Knotts, mm-hmm. you know, it was, only, it was only forty-five minutes up the road. And Chesterfield as a club were at that time a synonymous league side, a very competent league side. And it's a real shame to see where they've now gone into the National League and their sudden demise in some ways. It's a real, real shame. Oh, absolutely. You know, I, I had uh, I had some really good times at Chesterfield. Uh, some really bad times as well. Uh, it, it, it went sour towards the end of, of, of my time there. But to see you know, a club like Chesterfield, they developed the club off the pitch. You know, they got a brand new stadium, which is absolutely incredible. Yeah. You know, they were getting, they were getting, they got up to League One. They were getting crowds of nine, ten thousand. And then uh, to see them get relegated, you know, it was uh, you know, there's, there's, there's a lot of people I still know. There are a lot of good people. So to see them get relegated was uh, was really hard to watch. I won't say I haven't said that because probably the wrong way to, to say it. But it, it, the season they got relegated was the season we stayed up on the last day of the season. Right. Interesting. So it was it, it was it was us battling them and Barnet to, to stay up. Mm-hmm. So you know, obviously we were we were over the moon us staying up. But you know. Still, for me, it was uh, it was it was sad to see them go down. How different was the setup at Chesterfield in comparison to your time at Forest? Was there a lot more cohesion in terms of interaction with players, or was it a very different time because obviously you're working with different players, a, a different style of management? Maybe what what was it like in terms of the differences? 
I think once you go down to, you know, Forest is a huge club, you know, where everything is taken care of. You you know, you go in on a daily basis, your kit's laid out, your boots are laid out and clean, your gloves are there, you finish training, you know, you're straight up for lunch. You know, you go to clubs on our level, mm-hmm. you, wash, you, you wash your own kit, you're training in, on training pitches that are uh, that probably aren't great. You know, you got to bring your own lunch. And obviously that's there's certainly no hardship. Mm-hmm. But that, that was probably one of the one of the big differences. Yeah. You know, you, you do get pampered when you're at the bigger clubs. No, mm-hmm. no doubt about it. Don't get me wrong; it is fantastic. But that's why I'm a big believer that players uh, players at bigger clubs, you know, that, that aren't necessarily going to break into the first team straight away. Mm-hmm. They need to go and learn their trade at clubs in the lower level. Yeah. Because it toughens them. Absolutely. Absolutely, absolutely toughens them up. Go and play instead of playing in the reserves or the twenty threes as it's now called, go and play in League One, League Two games where three points at the end of the week is the be all and end all. Go go and train on pitches that you're not used to. Go and do the go and do the hard graft that players in the lower leagues do. I think yeah. it brings them on leaps and bounds. You you played under Roy McFarlane, I believe, at the time at Chesterfield. What was he like as a manager to work under? Roy, Roy was great. Roy signed me. He gave me, uh, you know, he gave me, you know, my first proper taste of league football. Obviously, I think I played 11, 12 times at Forest, but never had a sustained period inside. Uh, Roy was great. And he, he was great with me because I'm trying to think. I think it was in my second year. Uh, I, was, I was playing okay. I wasn't I wasn't playing out of my skin. I wasn't playing badly. And then we rocked up at Rotherham on a Saturday and he names the team in the dressing room and I'm, and I'm not in it. So I'm thinking... What the hell's going on here? So uh, he didn't say anything because usually if you drop the player, you uh, you go in and you know you you pull him aside on the Thursday or Friday. So listen, you're not playing. This is the reason. But he didn't say anything. I thought, right, you know what? I'm not going to say anything back, but I'm going to show you. So Monday morning comes. <clears throat> I went in and I trained better than ever. Mm-hmm. And then I think four or five games later, he pulled me back in and goes, "You're back in." I thought, all right, nice one. He goes, why were you dropped? I said, why was I dropped? He goes, well, at the time I didn't see it. Afterwards, I definitely did. He said, you needed a break. You know, you were doing okay. You weren't doing great, but you needed to be taken out of the limelight. Mm-hmm. In hindsight, as I said, I just turned around and said to him, I said, you know what? I cursed you when you dropped me. I thought, not a chance this is right. Now, you were absolutely spot on. Yeah. So he was absolutely fantastic with me. Yeah, and when you get a key moment like that, Barry, does that reshape and refocus the mind as you've mentioned there because you know you mentioned it was taken out of the limelight but in essence it's refocused you and said okay I've had a knock but I'm determined to improve and get better yeah it gave me a kick up the backside you know at the time I didn't think I needed it uh, but he, he was dead right in what he said mm-hmm. and the big the big thing for me and this is what I say to uh, to a lot of younger lads and I've always said it from that moment did I see you know because unfortunately there's a lot of players they get dropped they sulk I don't deserve to be dropped it's always somebody else's fault yeah it might be but sulking isn't going to get you anywhere and he, the one thing he said to me when he when he pulled me in when he was putting me back and he goes I was looking for a reaction from you on the Monday you came in you trained absolutely you put everything in you trained really well you didn't sulk and that's what I was looking for and that, that's what managers look for because sulking is going to get you absolutely nowhere you've got to go in and prove them wrong to drop you effectively yeah no absolutely very interesting advice there as well that you give there Barry really interesting to, to hear that uh, you played over 125 games at Chesterfield what memories do you take away from the club oh the, the, the memories I take away from the club I've got it, I've got it up here actually I'll show you 
it's the, the, the cup run of there. I don't know if you can see that. Yes. That was uh, that was when we beat uh, we beat West Ham two one in the the Carling Cup. You know, we haven't said that we went down that season, which was horrendous. But the Carling Cup, you know, we beat we beat Wolves on penalties in the first round. They were a Championship. Then we beat Man City, West Ham, both Premiership, and lost to lost to Charlton, who were Premiership at the time on penalties. And every game was on Sky Sports. So for us, you know. Little Chesterfield, you never really played on telly. Yeah. And the, the atmosphere in those games, it was just, it was unbelievable. All night games, obviously. Yeah. All telly. And it was my first real experience of playing, you know, cup football like that. And it was just, it was brilliant. Obviously, like I said, you know, we got relegated that season, which was from League One to League Two, which was, which was hard to take. But, the, you know, the memories I take away from there of that cup run, but also, Learning how to play league football, mm-hmm. learning how to be in the be in the limelight on a on a yeah. weekly basis and deal with mistakes and everything that comes with it, but that taught me an awful lot. You know, helped me grow up an awful lot as well. Yeah, you listed a lot of those teams that you played in that league cup run. Any a team that you enjoyed playing the most out of that list? Some some great names in there. Uh, I I enjoy I enjoyed them all. Um, I think. The Charlton game, and all, you know, we lost, which was which was obviously re- you know it, it was disappointing, but we took them all the way to penalties. And so, for me at the time, you know, I saw, I remember saving a penalty from Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank, and it was like, oh wow, that's amazing. But obviously, we lost the game. But the one was the probably the Man City game, yeah. Because I think I think we won it with about two or three minutes to go. Uh, one of our midfielders stuck a stuck a volley in the top corner, and this is you know so one of the lads who was wasn't known for his uh, you know his shooting or his goal scheming. You know he was a holding midfielder, did did yeah. the nasty the nasty work, the hard work, and he yeah. stuck a volley in the top corner, and it was just the whole place erupted, and it was absolutely incredible. You mentioned as well about uh, you know being on Sky Sports and on telly. Is that the pinnacle for any footballer to be uh, playing a match that's live on telly? And obviously, if you play well, it helps. But you know, just to be on telly, it's, it's, it's a great experience, isn't it? Oh, it, it's it's brilliant. Don't get me wrong. When, when you first do it, it's extremely nerve wracking. You know, beforehand you're thinking, I've got to perform here. I've got to play well because everybody's going to see. Obviously, when when you when the when the game starts, you completely forget about the cameras and everything being there. But for us to be, you know, we we weren't obviously we were you know a League One club. We weren't a huge club at the time. Uh, for us to be in the line like that, like that, and have national coverage was uh, was really really yeah. you know, really enjoyable. Yeah. Obviously, because we did well. Mm-hmm. You know, I've been on the receiving end when you play uh, you play on Sky Sports and you get absolutely smashed, which is uh, not a which is horrendous. Of course, yeah, <laughs> which is horrendous. But when when you're on national TV and you play well and all the publicity around the team is good it's it's you know you, you've got to enjoy it because when you're playing in the lower leagues that type of coverage doesn't happen that often yeah absolutely. so you, you you want to do you want to do well obviously and do yourself justice but you've got to enjoy it as well you mentioned about the great highs of, of playing in those cup matches but you also mentioned about the fact that you got relegated from League One that season when a side gets relegated that must be very tough on the whole squad because you know you're playing throughout a whole season everybody's trying their best but ultimately it's not being good enough No you, you do you feel you know obviously you're very very disappointed in yourself because you've ultimately as an individual you've not if your team gets relegated you've not done well enough mm-hmm. it's as simple as that but the, the feeling that you've 
you've let everybody down. Yeah. You know, you, you've thousands of people who come and pay their pay their hard you know their hard earned money to watch you week in week out, and you feel you've let everybody down. So it was a really it was a really awful experience and a really really long summer. Yeah. As a, for football to come back. And as a goalkeeper, is it harder for you than anybody else in the squad? In in my mind, I'd say yes. But you can guarantee if you ask anybody else, you ask a striker, he'll he'll give the opinion that he's not scored enough goals. You know, a defender, you know, we've not kept enough clean sheets. But of course, as an as an individual, you should always look at your own performance. Mm-hmm. And like I said, if you've got relegated, then your performance ultimately hasn't been good enough. Uh, the next part of this story is absolutely fascinating because you you leave Chesterfield to to join uh, fellow League Two side Morecambe. Um, and Morecambe obviously within your story is an absolutely fascinating concept what does the club mean to you first of all Barry is my opening question about Morecambe everything simple simple as that I was I was on my knees when I left Chesterfield I had a really really bad six months of the season um, a form had dipped I was getting you know, I was getting absolutely slaughtered left, right and centre from fans, from you know, people on social media and stuff like that. Morecambe took a chance on me, helped build me back up and ultimately gave me the career I've had. Yeah, a, a fantastic club and, and one of the great things about it is on your, on your uh, for kind of early on in appearance, you, we kept your first clean sheet uh, against Shrewsbury. I mean, when you keep your first clean sheet for your new club, that must be a great feeling. Yeah, it was because I think I think it was possibly our first win as well. So we'd gone five yeah, or six games without a win, and we we drawn we drawn a few. Um, you know, and you want to at any club, you know, no matter when it's, but first certainly when you, you've just joined the club, you want to get off to a good start. Yeah. So to I think we beat, I think we beat them one 0 yeah. uh, at home. Uh, so to get off to so to get sort of the first win and like you said as a goalkeeper the first clean sheet it means it means an awful lot because you know as a goalkeeper you love keeping clean sheets yeah you want to win games but ideally you want to win games to nil because you pride yourself in, in keeping clean sheets yeah and absolutely and, and one of the great things as well is a, a Northern Irishman and Sammy McElroy took the chance and, and, and brought you in what did Sammy give to your own career but also to the game Sammy was honestly he was incredible I, I loved playing for Sammy he, he, he put his faith in me when I think after my time at Chesterfield very few would have he said listen come in he said come in big man you're going to be my number one and he brought me in he put faith in me uh, he was he was brilliant to work for on, on a daily basis he was one of those managers and I've had a few thankfully uh, that you would run through a brick wall for yeah he, he, he was brilliant. Obviously, what you know, what he'd done in the game, you know, the ability. He was, he was still the best player in training when he joined in. I was going to say, what but was his I, training methods like? Because I got the impression he was a guy that liked to get stuck in and get involved as well, which some I, managers don't like doing. He, he did. He, he joined in quite a bit. He was a pain. In, excuse my name. He was a pain in the arse at times because he wouldn't run. Uh-huh. But you give him, you give him the ball, and he could do whatever he wants. You know, he'd he'd whip it into the top corner while going back on. <laughs> and uh, you know, his pass, his pass, and his first touch was incredible. But he'd be a liability on the defensive side. Yeah. But he, he, he was just, he, he was. I've, I, I've, I can't speak highly about of Sammy enough because, like I said, he gave a chance to me. He put his faith in me. 
Uh, but as a bloke, he, he was just brilliant. What about some of your teammates at Morecambe at the time when you first came into the club? Who really impressed you when you first came in? We were, uh, we, but you know what? There was a real, the thing that impressed me most was firstly the team spirit. Because we didn't have any, you know, at the start, we didn't have any particular real flair players, you know, any sort of luxury players, if, if you will. Uh, we just had a team who was like, we're going to work our socks off. We're going to help you, you know, when your teammate's struggling, you can see straight away, oh, I'm going to run the extra mile for him. And that, that's the thing that, that really stuck with me. You know, you could, you could have, we certainly had players who would produce uh, individual moments of brilliance. But we just had such a hard-working group of players who would run through a brick wall for the manager and run through a brick wall for the players. A really great answer to a, a very interesting question. One thing that also is great when you sign for a new club is if you play well, the fans take to you as well what, what did Morecambe fans give to you in, in, in response to hopefully your good performances which it looks like there has been they gave me confidence they gave, they gave me they gave me belief again because my belief when I left Chesterfield my confidence was at an all time low uh, but I went in there and I thought right you know this I won't say last chance but I, I knew I didn't have many chances left to make it in the football league I said right I, I've got to make this happen yeah. and the way the fans took to me uh, you know you, you've got to you've got to perform if you want that to happen. Yeah. But the way the fans the way the fans took to me was was absolutely brilliant. And so the, to be able to repay the manager, the clubs, the fans support and faith in me with good performances and you know and a good number of years was really special for me. You had a great early couple of years at the club, and then in 2010 you became captain of Morecambe. What does it feel like to be captain of the club, but also as a goalkeeper, be captain of the team? Because a lot of great goalkeepers, you know, have been captain like Buffon and Cassius and, and so many others. Khan is one I think I think of as well. What was it like for you? To me, it didn't make a difference. You know, don't get me wrong. That, that, that's what I was going to say. It didn't make a difference. That's probably wrong to say. It was a very big honour and a special moment but it didn't make a difference to how I mm. conducted myself on the pitch yeah. I always you know, I, I saw myself as, as a leader anyway I was always very vocal yeah. I was you know, vocal in the dressing room uh, like I said it was it was, it was an honour to be acknowledged in that way but it certainly didn't change the way I, I did things on the pitch or on the training pitch because mm. you know I'd always certainly you know 2010 uh, you know I'd been there a couple of years I think I was 28, 29. Uh, I was one of the older players. I was always one to pull the younger players aside, give them, you know, mm -hmm. arm around the shoulder, a little bit of advice if and when they needed it. Probably sometimes when they didn't need it or didn't want it. But, you know, like I said, it was a massive honour, but it didn't it didn't change how I did things. Yeah. The only difference was the sort of the stuff you got to deal with off the pitch. You know, you got to deal with the players' fines. You've got to negotiate different things. You know, you were sort of the go-to between the players and the manager yes or the players on the board which sometimes can be quite difficult to deal with uh, but that, that, that was the thing that was different but like I said in, in terms of the way I dealt with things on the pitch it didn't make a difference because mm -hmm. 
I always consider myself to be a bit of a leader anyway. That's an interesting answer uh, to my question because I've seen a lot of, uh, you know, as I mentioned, those, those great goalkeepers that have been captains of clubs, but I'm an Aberdeen fan and Joe Lewis is currently captain of Aberdeen and I often wonder at times if he's playing with that little bit of expectation on him a little bit and maybe his performances maybe not have been as good as they had been in a couple of previous seasons. Did you feel that way when you were keep when you were no. captain? No. Yeah, not at all. But I have seen players that it has happened to. You know that you you can see straight away they get the armband, and you can instantly spot that they're doing things differently. They're saying things differently. Uh, and, you know, I've seen players who've turned down the armband for that particular reason. Yeah. They don't want that weight of expectation on the shoulders. But in you know in 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 my in my respect uh, in my position it, it didn't make a difference to me in that because it wasn't going to change the way I did things a very interesting response uh, Sammy McElroy was obviously a, a big part of your journey he, he left the club in 2011 and Jim Bentley came in and had a, a really good spell with the club what did Jim have that was different to Sammy when he came in uh, well, uh, I don't know how, how, how different you know because obviously Jim played under Sammy. You know, there were certain things that he took from from Sammy. Uh, but as a manager, if you go in, you want to put your own stamp on things. Yeah. Um, we, we we did more sort of. We, I think uh, it was more detailed in 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 some respects of training. But that was the way the game was going anyway. Yeah. So I wouldn't say he necessarily thought right. Sammy didn't do this. I'm going to do this. It was just more detailed. You know, there was a lot more video analysis, a lot more sort of opposition homework and stuff like that, which didn't necessarily happen. Yeah. Across the board when Sammy was manager. Yeah. But Jim again. Jim. Jim was a teammate, a friend. Um, he was a leader. He was our captain. He was my captain for two years. You know, he, he did his he did his year at the taking the reserves. So you know. For us as players, when Sammy left, Jim was, in our minds, the only guy that we wanted as manager. Because again, he was one of those managers where you think, right, I'm going to give absolutely everything for you. Because you know, that's the type of player you were, mm -hmm. that's the type of bloke you are, and that's the least we can do. You mentioned he was a, a teammate of yours. When he becomes the manager from the player, is there a, a shift Is there a shift change, or, or did you not feel that? Yeah, there has to be. There absolutely has to be. Um, Jim did it really well because, you know, he, he did it sort of over the course of three or four months. He didn't come in and go, right, I'm the gaffer, this bang, bang, and this is the way it's going to be. You know, he, he did it He did it slowly and, and, and carefully and, and very cleverly. Mm. But I remember I remember the, uh, the first, excuse me, the first Christmas he was manager. We always, you know, the players always had, you know, I was going to say the famous or the infamous Christmas parties that we have. <laughs> uh, we went, we all went to Manchester as players on the Saturday night and then we were going out again on the Sunday and all the staff were coming to meet us for a few beers on the Sunday. So we, we, you know, we were three sheets to the wind at about one o'clock in the afternoon and all the staff, all the staff walked in <laughs> and, you know, you chat, you have a drink and everything like that, and they, they all stayed for quite a few hours. I remember speaking to Jim later on in the afternoon. He goes, Buzz, this is the day I knew it fully changed. He says, what do you mean? He goes, well, usually when I'd walk into the pub and all the lads were there, they'd all start abusing me. He says, I, walk, he says, I walked in today and I went deathly silent. <laughs> so that, that's the time he knew. He said he knew that the line was officially crossed. and you know There was the... 
the full-on line between me and the players. Brilliant. But yeah, like I said, he, he did it really, really well. Yeah. I, I think to go in and as a player and all, all of a you know, all of a sudden you're you're managing your friends to just be right dictatorship. This is the way it's going to be. I think is wrong because yeah. I don't necessarily think footballers will take to that. Yeah. So like, they did it slowly over the over the course of four or five months and did it really well. It's, it's fair to say around about that period of time, Morecambe were one of these sides that were nearer the wrong end of the table, but definitely definitely doing well to, to keep alive their status in League Two. Was that something that frustrated you, or did you did you thrive on that pressure every season? That you know we're favourites to probably go down, but we want to we want to prove people wrong. That, that was it. At the start of every season, you'd look at the bookmakers' odds, Morecambe favourites. Like, right, all right, lads, no problem. We're going to prove them wrong again. Sim- honestly, simple as that. You know, the other article from the press had go up in the dressing room at the start of the season. Go right, look what they're writing about you. Are you going to have that? We're like, absolutely not. Uh-huh. Do you think that was fair what they were saying? Because I, I think it's harsh when people keep putting the same people as favourites to go down. Or, or is that just help you guys think, to strive to, to prove people wrong? I think they just looked at our budgets. You know, the, the, the playing squad we had, the budget we had, because we, you know, we, we've had the lowest budget over the course of, over the course of nearly every year since I've been at the club. But what does that mean? It means absolutely nothing. At the end of the day. 11 against 11 on a Saturday, anything can happen. You know, and, and we, we used it as motivation at times. You think, right, we're going to prove you all wrong. Yeah, we were going into games as underdogs to the outsiders, but we certainly didn't feel like underdogs in the league. We thought, right, we're here to compete. We're not just here to make up the numbers. And, and in terms of matches on your home ground, um, obviously the fans would have been right behind you as well. A lot of opposition must have really struggled coming to Morecambe and, and, and got a fair uh, shift against them. Yeah, uh, when we were at Christie Park, that, that was definitely the case because we, uh, when I played for Chesterfield, we came to Christie Park in the April for uh, for you know February or March before I signed for Morecambe. We drew one all. I came away and I remember saying, "Sod playing there every week." <laughs> Three months later, I was up signing because as an away team, it was a horrible place to go. You know, tiny dressing rooms, showers that don't work, really close old pitch. But playing there as a home player, you were almost one that up before a ball had even been kicked. Yeah, very interesting to, to hear about that. It was brilliant. Yeah, no, that was very interesting. Uh, one story that I found really interesting looking through your profile, Barry, was uh, a, a match against Portsmouth in 2016. Because as goalkeepers, they're always being renowned for, for keeping the ball out of their own net. But you actually scored at the opposition end late on in a, in a one-all draw against Portsmouth. What a great story. Yeah, do you know what? It was it was incredible because I'd been up for a few corners because uh, obviously being my size, Jim would just say, right, up you go. And I'd hit the crossbar, I'd hit the roof of the net. And I remember going up and just thinking, I'm going to score here. I am going to score here. They're, 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 no one came, originally no one came to pick me up. And then they sent someone over to pick me up and he just looked up. He looked up like that. Yeah. But you're not going to you're not, I, I just thought, you're not going to mark me. He didn't want to mark me. And all I did is a little shift of the body. He used my pace, <laughs> or lack of pace. Uh, <sighs> and, and I got a run on him, and then got my head to it, and it was just like, what the heck, that's gone in. Yeah, yeah, a fantastic moment. And I was, I was actually having a look at the, that Portsmouth team that night, and you know, so, some interesting names in there: uh, Mike Nolte, Evans, uh, Naismith, Smith up front. That was a really good point as well at that stage in the season for for Morgan. Yeah, well, we'd lost quite a few in the spin. We'd been really struggling on that. That's 
thankfully helped stop the rot. Uh, we got ourselves back on track after that and, and got the season going again. But, you know, as a goalkeeper to uh, score a goal, the feeling was just, honestly, it was incredible. And now you, you join an elite list of goalkeepers who, who scored against all And one thing that's really interesting about this story is you scored against Ryan Fulton, who I know very well from my time following Scottish football because he's a Hamilton Ackies, which is a, a really interesting story. Yeah, well, he was on, uh, I believe he was, he was on loan from Liverpool at the time and he just... In the run up to the corner, uh, to the corner, he'd made a really, really good save. You know, he, yeah. he hadn't had much football game. He'd made a really good save from one v one, and we're thinking, "Oh, bloody, there's our chance gone. We're done." But he ended up, to be fair, he ended up coming for the cross through a through you know a host of bodies that, looking back at it, he was never going to get. So I, all I needed was a little glance, and it went into an empty net. Yeah, fantastic story that as well. And against Portsmouth, a, a very established club, and of course former FA Cup winners and, and Premier yeah. League um, uh, FA Cup winners. Of, I should say the Premier League club. That, that, tremendous. That, that, uh, that definitely made it a little bit more special because I think you know it was a Tuesday night, and usually a Morecambe on a Tuesday night, you don't get many uh, you know very many uh, away fans but I think there was five, six hundred that travelled up from Portsmouth which is incredible but obviously goes to show the size of the club that's there yeah. uh, so to score the goal against them like that was was, was was really really nice yeah absolutely uh, Jim was obviously at the club for the best part of eight years and then he left to go to Fylde and the, the next thing that is really interesting is that you and Kevin Ellison took over and obviously Kevin had a, a fantastic career of his own you know, at, at uh, Morecambe how did that come about? Was that always going to happen? You two uh, assuming joint caretaker roles? How did that? Oh, we we, uh, we played Stephen and Joanne on the Saturday. Um, we, we had you know we we had heard what was happening. You know, not officially, but you know, rumours go around. We had heard that the gaffer was going. Uh, after the game, he said, "Listen, I'm leaving. I'm going to file. The time's right." Uh, very very emotional dressing room I mean players and staff in tears because of how much Jim and the staff met, meant to us uh, but he pulled me and Kev aside and said listen I've, uh, I think they're going to ask you and you, you both to take over will you do it mm-hmm. and we were like yeah absolutely uh, so we both had to, you know, we said we got together the two of us because we were both playing at the time Yeah, we were the team and we said listen if we're going to do this right we're going to have to take ourselves out yeah so we had a really good week's training with the lads, took ourselves out of the team, and then we went. It was our first home win of the season, 1 1 0. Yeah, fantastic. So, not, not a bad I don't think I've ever been as scared in a match my whole life. <laughs> Is it not something you, you fancy going back into long term then after that? Yeah, I certainly wouldn't rule it out. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, don't get me wrong. My passion is goalkeeping, but it's yeah. certainly something I wouldn't rule out. Sure. I mean, I mean, Kevin Ellison, obviously your your, your partner, you were working alongside. What was he like as a as a teammate to play with as well? Do you know what? The only thing missing from Kev was an off button. He never shut up. <laughs> Absolutely never. He was. I would have else in any in any dressing room. He he was brilliant. You know, forget what he did on the pitch, which was fantastic. The career he's had, you know, the goals the goals he scored. But Kev, Kev was brilliant. Kev was, uh, you know, he was. Larger than life, non-stop, which at times you're like, Kev, just shut up. Mm-hmm. But he was such, such, such a really good person to have in the, in the dressing room. You know, he's, he's still playing football league at 41. Yeah. You know, he's, he's, he's for me, he's, you tell any young player mm-hmm. trying to make it in the game, right? Look at him, look at what he does mm-hmm. and do exactly the same and you'll have a chance. 
his work rate, his commitment, his lifestyle, the way he the way he let us himself off the pitch, the way he looked after himself, you know, going in the gym, extra sessions every day, yoga, everything. It, it's we're talking spot on. Brilliant, fantastic, fantastic player. Uh, you were given a testimonial by the Shrimpers. Um What was that like as an experience? Because it's a, a fantastic period of time you were playing at the club. You were playing for the best part of a dozen years. But you know what? I was terrified. I, I was, I was really, really nervous on my testimonial. I, I didn't sort of fully relax until the game was over, and I had a couple, had a couple of beers in me. But it, it was, you know, to be to be offered a testimonial at the at the club that you love and that means so much to you was uh, an incredible honour. Mm-hmm. I really, really, you know, I, I was over the moon, and you know, we had a number of events over the years. You know, we had a race night, we had quiz nights, uh, we had an evening with Razor Ruddock. Oh, wow. uh, which they were all oh, absolutely fantastic. And like I said, I feel incredibly honoured and lucky to have been able to uh, to be granted one. And what like was Razor? I bet you he was larger than life. Literally. <laughs> and absolutely you top guy. He, he was uh, he, he was brilliant. He, he came up and uh, we had him and Lester Crabtree, the comedian. I couldn't actually. It was on a Friday night and I couldn't actually stay for Lester Crabtree because we had a game the next day. So I was just literally listening to Razor, but. His stories and everything were absolutely brilliant. You, you recently announced your retirement from goalkeeping. How tough a decision is that for a goalkeeper, or any player for that matter, to announce their retirement from the game? It's certainly a big change, but it was... I won't say it was taken out of my hands, because it wasn't, but I was offered the role of goalkeeping coach. And I think when the new manager came in, uh, he said to me, he said, listen... You know, I want you to be goalkeeper coach, you know, player coach. So I was like, right, player coach. And then he pulled me in a few weeks later and he said, listen, I want you to concentrate on the goal, on the coaching side of things. So I was like, all right, I still feel I can play. And he said, well, listen, I want a dedicated goalkeeper coach not to do both. And I was like, oh, okay, do you know what? It's probably six months earlier than I had anticipated because yeah. I think it would have been last season anyway. But... It was a, it was an opportunity I can't I couldn't have turned down yeah and uh, I've really really enjoyed it yeah because it, it was what I wanted to go into anyway you know I done, done my coaching badges I was ready for it mm-hmm. like I said it just happened a, a bit earlier you mentioned about a uh, new coach coming in and that was of course uh, Derek Adams a man I know very well from his time in, in Scottish football obviously did very well at Ross County what's Derek done to Morecambe uh, to help them uh, improve on the pitch and off it as well. <laughs> He's he's done an awful lot. He's uh, obviously you look at the results and the position we're in. Uh, he's got us higher than we've ever been at this stage of the season. Um, he brings, you know, his standards are incredibly high on a daily basis. You know, the work rate. Uh, I'll be honest. I'm kind of glad I retired because there's no way I'd have coped with his preseason. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the, the, the amount of running he put through the lads was absolutely phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you know he, he works. He works the lads incredibly hard. Yeah. Uh, he was you know very very high standards, uh, and he, and he's brought the right players in. And, and Morecambe, as we're recording this, have had a, a really exciting season because they're they're currently sitting in the, the lofty heights of uh, eighth spot at the moment. And you just recently had an FA Cup match against Chelsea. And obviously, people can't see this because obviously it's just a recording. But uh, on the back uh, of behind you, you have uh, a shirt of uh, Ariza Balaga, the, the Chelsea goalkeeper. What a great experience playing Chelsea at Stamford Bridge that was. Do you know what? It, it was brilliant. The only thing missing was the fans and particularly our fans because we've waited so you know in my time we'd never gone beyond uh, the second round I don't think 
uh, we'd never gone beyond the second round. Though the fans had waited an awful long time to uh, you know to get to that to that stage in the competition. Mm-hmm. So that, that that was that was definitely missing. Yeah. Uh, but to be able to go down and play at Stamford, well, say play coach at Stamford Bridge for, for the lads to be able to go down and play was brilliant. You know, they gave a really good account of themselves. Certainly you did. Know, we're unlucky not to go one 0 up early on in the game. And obviously the, the, the quality of uh, quality at Chelsea was going to shine through, and it did. But you know, it, it was a really good day, uh, really enjoyable. Chelsea were fantastic hosts. But to be able to go down there and sort of be in the stadium and look around and think, you know what, this this is this is proper, this is a proper world class football ground, mm-hmm. it was really really good. Thank you. But I'm just getting my charger. <laughs> fantastic. We're just, we're just about finished, uh, Barry. But uh, mm-hmm. but no, it's really really good to to chat with you, especially. What are the great things? Was, uh, oh, sorry, go on. sorry. No, go on. I was no. I was just going back to the the Chelsea thing because I was just I was just watching the charger come into the room. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was uh, it, it was it was a it was a great day. You know, I uh, I thought to myself, well, I've never been over Morecambe. I've not. Uh, I haven't played against an awful lot of big clubs. You know, I remember playing against Newcastle. Uh, I think we I think we did Sunderland one year as well. But mm. it was a uh, you know the, the, the shirt behind me. You know myself and the kit man are great friends and I said listen I know I'm not playing anymore but he knew the, he knew the Chelsea kit man I says any chance you can have a word and he goes yeah don't worry I'll have a word so he came in before the game and, and gave me the shirt so yeah, it was nice to get a little, uh, little token from the game Superb and for a club like Morecambe to, to get a, a lucrative tie against Chelsea that helps the club financially so much doesn't it even in this Covid times Yeah absolutely you know the cup run helped massively because in every game, the first three round, you know, the first round, uh, Molden and Tiptree, we were on the you know BBC iPlayer. That's right. Second round against Bolly Hull, we were the same, and obviously the third round, you know, the same. So there's there's three games with national coverage, and obviously that brings that brings money into the club. So for that money to come into the club in a time when all clubs are losing money with the lack of fans was absolutely massive for us. Does it really, for- really? Does it frustrate you then that the Premier League clubs maybe don't give the FA Cup the respect it deserves? Uh, yeah, but that, that, that's you know, that is certainly. I don't think it's the case for all Premier League clubs. It's certainly the case for some of them. But their priorities are high. You know, their priorities are their priorities are the Premier League, the uh, you know the Champions League, the Europa League. But I think it. In certain aspects, it levels the playing field a little bit because you'll see more upsets. Which, let's be honest, everybody likes seeing an upset in the FA Cup. So you've got smaller teams playing against bigger clubs, thinking, "Do you know what? They don't. I won't say disrespected us mm-hmm. to a certain extent, maybe because all right, well, they they obviously fancy the chances of beating us with a weakened side. Right, we're going to show them, and you tend to see more upsets, which is upsets, which as a member of a smaller, smaller club in the league, in the leagues, it's great to see because everybody wants to see that. And, and speaking of uh, lower uh, established clubs in league, you know, Morecambe as we as we're recording this on the 18th of February, saying eighth at the moment in League Two. I mean, if Morecambe were to get a playoff spot this season, that'd be a superb accomplishment, wouldn't it? Yes, absolutely. But that, that's what we're aiming for. You know, we want we want to get promoted, and if you know, obviously. The, the ideal thing for, for, for us and for every club is to 
is to go up automatically. But you know, we we want to get promoted as a football club, and that's what we're aiming for. Yeah, absolutely. And and who in the league uh, this season, in your opinion, has impressed you at the moment? I mean, Cambridge are top at the moment on forty nine points, but they played two games more than Forest Green, who are a point behind them, and Cheltenham, who are a point further back. I mean, are they the the, the top three, or is there much of a much this there? Because there's only seven points covers the top nine clubs. Well, uh, Cambridge beat us 5-0 at our place and, you know, don't get me wrong, they were very good. Uh, we weren't good on the day, but I don't think it's, I won't say it's necessarily not as strong a league as it has been before, but I think in recent years, you could pick from five teams. Mm-hmm. Say, right, three of those five before the start of the season or within 10 games, right, three of those five are going to get promoted. Yeah, You can't do that this season. You've got 12, 14 teams uh, that realistically can get promoted. You know, Bolton, obviously the biggest team in the league, they've just won a few games in a row. You know, they're up to within touching distance of the playoffs. You know, there, there's a whole host of teams that realistically will fancy the chances. So it's a much more uh, level playing field this season and there's a much bigger group of teams to pick from that, that could go up. Well, I think that, I think that's brilliant. I think it's absolutely fantastic, and I, I personally want to wish Morecambe well for the for the rest of their campaign because it's a, a really fascinating story uh, at the moment, anyway, and potentially uh, more to come for for Derek and, and the team. We're we're very much at the end of the chat, Barry. I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed our discussion. What is the future hold for yourself? Um, obviously, you're doing a lot of the coaching at the moment, but uh, I, I, I take it you have a very young family as well. I mean, you know, a lot of opportunities. I think going forward. I love, I love, I love the coaching side of things. You know, I've got my own goalkeeper. I've, in the past, so in the past seven, eight months, I've opened up my own goalkeeping school up here. Obviously, it's been hindered by, uh, you know, by COVID. But that was growing, which is something that I really, really enjoy doing, helping develop the younger goalkeepers. But for for the time being, certainly, uh, you know, I, I love, I love, I love what I'm doing. I love where I'm at. You know, I'd love to go and coach at a higher league, and hopefully, that could be important. Fingers crossed that happens for you, Barry. You've been a, a fantastic guest and I've really enjoyed our chat. Thanks for coming on Campbell's Fools to share your story with me. Thanks very much for having me, mate. Well, listener, that brings us to the end of yet another episode of Campbell's Footballs. I hope this podcast was just what the doctor ordered. If you want to listen to previous shows or look out for future shows, follow Campbell's Footballs on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts or wherever you listen to other podcasts. You can also follow the show on Facebook, at Campbell's Footballs, search for me, StatoG91 on Instagram or other social media channels. But until then, until next time, I hope you enjoyed the crack and enjoy Campbell's Footballs. What a dangerous night.